God keeps his promises. The question is, does that make you happy or does it make you sad? And maybe you're wondering, why would I be sad that God keeps his promises? Well, let's find out what those promises are and find out where you land at the end of this video as we study the scriptures in Micah chapter 6. Today we're covering verses 9 through 16. Uh, Several of these verses are kind of speak for themselves, require no extra explaining or teaching. So if you're ready, open your Bible. Let's dive in. Micah chapter 6, beginning in verse number 9. The voice of Yahweh will call to the city, and it is the sound of wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who even has appointed its time? Is there yet a man in the wicked house, along with treasures of wickedness and a short measure which is cursed? Can I purify wicked scales in a bag of deceptive weights? For the rich men of the city are full of violence, and her inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. You will eat, but you will not be satisfied, and your vileness will be in your midst. And you will try to remove something for safekeeping, but you will not cause anything to escape. And that which you do have escape, I will give to the sword. You will sow, but you will not reap. You will tread the olive, but will not anoint yourself with oil. And the grapes, but you will not drink wine. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are kept. And in their counsels, you walk. Therefore... I will give you up as an object of horror and your inhabitants as an object of hissing and you will bear the reproach of my people. That's not a positive few verses. Somebody say that wasn't extremely exciting or happy, but there are some promises there and we're going to see the reaction to them. Let's go back to verse number nine and find out what God is saying. We're studying the scriptures and the voice of Yahweh will call to the city. Uh, The city here is Jerusalem. So while every word of God is inspired and carries equal weight, uh, what God wants us to know here is he's not communicating through a prophet now. Now this is his voice and he's calling to the city. God is speaking in the open. There's no secrets. Um, This isn't God whispering to the convicted. God isn't whispering to the prophets. God isn't, he's talking out loud and he's calling to the city. And uh, here's a a word of truth. It is sound wisdom to fear your name. Uh, If you are wise, you fear the name of God. If you're wise, you listen to the voice of God. If you're wise, you apply the instruction of God. You're going to be, glued. You're going to be captive, frozen, taking in everything that you're about to hear if you're wise. Now, if you're not wise, um, God's word is optional. If you're not wise, God's voice is just another ordinary voice. If you're not wise, there's no fear and there's no trembling. Um, So I don't know about you, but I want to be wise. You want to be wise? Maybe put that in the comments. I want to be wise. I'm listening to the voice of God. I'm fearing some translations say the name of God because God's name is the sum total of who he is. You want to do a fun study? Study the names of God and find out who he is. 
God defines himself in various names, and you don't want to miss it. Uh, It's sound wisdom to fear God and all that he is. Verse number 10, is there yet a man? This is God asking a question. And God doesn't ask questions because he needs to know the answers. God asks questions because he wants you to know the answer, and he wants you to meditate on uh, the answer. And he sometimes asks these questions because he wants to wake you up out of your sleep to understand what's really going on. And uh, so he's about to wake the people up to, um, is there yet a man in a wicked house along with treasures of wickedness and a short measure, which is cursed? Um, God is asking these rhetorical questions to get the people's attention. Um, you, You need to understand this short measure here a short measure which is cursed. God's finding them in abundance uh, in the tents of his people. And ephah is a small basket of approximately six gallons. Now, in ancient times, it could be a little uh, difficult to get uh, a basket to be made of the exact same size every time, and God understood that. So there's a little bit of variance, like a small percentage of, Uh, with which things can vary. Here it is, though. Um, There are people who took that small, like, I believe, 4 to 6% difference and said, what if I stretch it to 7% or 8%? Or what if my basket is 10% different than the the standard for an ephah? And, of course, it was going to be smaller, and they're shortchanging people, and they're profiting from this unjustness. And uh, so as they use this smaller basket to, well, really act in greed and not do justice and not love mercy and not walk humbly, um, they have, well, they've served people with an unjust measure. And um, God's saying, is there, is there anyone with an unjust measure? Is there anyone? Is there anyone? And the reason he's asking this question, is there anyone with an unjust, with a short measure that is cursed? Is there anyone? Is uh, not because he wanted them like Joshua to look around and be like, is there? Is there anyone? Like, God, please, if there's someone, please show them to us. God's asking this question here because it was so commonplace that everyone hearing the question would be like, oh, the answer is a yes. Yeah, justice is not part of our DNA anymore because we're not walking humbly with God. Um. Wow. Could we just pause for a moment and consider the definition of justice today, whether in our Western culture or in cultures around the world? Um, Our definition of justice points to a lack of humility, a lack of mercy, ultimately because there's a lack of God. God's calling his people to do justice on every layer of the context and culture in which they have been placed. If you're the salt of the earth, you're to do justice and love mercy anywhere and everywhere that you can. So running from the political sphere and allowing a nation to descend into injustice and no mercy and, wow, why would you do that if you really love justice? Why wouldn't you be a part of serving justice to all um, problem? problem. Is there an unjust measure? Is there shortchanging? Um, we do that in our giving with God. We rob God, but that's not what this is about. This is about shortchanging other people. Like maybe you go to work and uh, you're like, I know I clock out at five, but who's going to notice if I clock out at 457 so I can beat everyone out of the parking lot? 
It's just three minutes. It's, I mean, it's what? 180 seconds? 180 seconds, that's not that much. It's three minutes, it's 180 seconds. Um, unjust measure. Like, um, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna take this home. I'm not gonna give this. I know this belongs to them, but I'm gonna keep a part. Yeah, it's not just an Old Testament principle that God hates that. Turn to the New Testament and find a couple who bring an offering and claim that they give gave God uh, everything um, and they didn't <laughs> and God kills them under the new covenant right there and fear comes into the heart of all of the church. Is there an unjust measure in the house? If the answer is yes, wrath is coming. Uh, maybe the believers are called to do some justice. Uh, let's look at verse number 11. Can I purify wicked scales and a bag of deceptive weights? Um, same thing, different words. God's like, I can't use things. I can't pure. I can't say that you're okay when you're not okay. I can't say you're doing justice when you're not doing justice. How are you missing this? Like, wake up. So he asks these questions. Verse number 13. So also I will make you sick, striking you down, desolating you because of your sins. Sickness, desolation, destruction come to those who walk unjustly. Um, this is a sentiment that is uh, repeated in Nahum chapter 3, verse number 19. Nahum is just a few pages over, and uh, verse number 19 says, There is no relief for your breakdown. Your wound is incurable. All who hear the report about you will clap their hands over you, for on whom has your evil passed, has your evil not passed continually? Um, God's saying, you, uh, you act evil. Yeah, it's going to hurt and it's going to hurt a lot. And, uh, there's going to be no relief for the hurt of those who reject God. Verse number 14, uh, you'll eat, but you'll not be satisfied and your vileness will be in your midst and you will try to remove something for safekeeping, but you won't cause anything to escape. And, uh, that which you do have escape, I will give to the sword, um, here you see that the result, the level of the punishment or the consequence matches the level of the iniquity and of the sin. It's not like you did this great injustice and God's going to slap you on the wrist. God wouldn't be just if that's what happened. And when God has extended to people, here's a question people are asking, like, why does God send people to hell? Why does he make people, does God take pleasure in people going to hell? And the answer is no, you don't have to go there. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, God has a problem with a theology that says God created some people for heaven and some people for hell. God is not with you in that theology. God is not with you in the theology that says, well, I can do this so that I can be saved and it's me, it's me. God is not with you in that. That's worshiping the creation over the creator. God is saying, I paid the penalty for the sin and I have given you the opportunity to respond. My Holy Spirit is drawing you. Say yes, don't say no, because when you reject the eternal solution, you will live in the eternal consequence, and we see that level of severity is happening right here. The results match the sin, and none of this should be shocking to Israel. Um, in Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28, Hosea 4, Haggai chapter 1. 
Um, from the law to the other prophets, God promised severe consequences for severe rejection. This isn't new news. God's going, this shouldn't be shocking. The fact that it's going to be bad is not a brand new concept. I've promised you, here it is, I've promised you evil consequences for evil actions. Because how, how could a just God and a gracious and merciful God allow you to continue in a pattern that uh, offends his justice and mocks his mercy and and grieves his Holy Spirit and not call you out on that? How could a God who is just and gracious and merciful allow you to do whatever you want and just get away with it? That's not a good God. Likewise, a parent who just allows their kid to do whatever they want, no matter if it's going to hurt them or, or no, is not a good parent. A good parent chastises and teaches and corrects and calls and comforts their child into a right pattern of behavior so that he can lead them or she can lead them into a right future. Oh, my friend, God had promised destruction if they turned their back on his commands and God keeps his promises. Uh, Verse 15 of chapter 6, you'll sow but you won't reap. You'll tread the olive, you'll tread the grapes, no oil, no wine. Why? Because God controls the rain. God controls the harvest. And you can plant and plant and water and water and do everything that you can do in your power, but God is ultimately in control. So you can obey God and leave the consequences to him. Or you can disobey God and leave the consequences to him. But at the end of the day, whether you accept or reject, obey or disobey, follow or run, God is in charge of the consequences. It's a promise, friend. It's a promise. And God keeps his promises. Verse number 16. Here's a name that might not be familiar to you if you're brand new into the study of the Old Testament. The statutes of Omri and all the works of the house of Ahab are kept. This is interesting. Uh, Omri is uh, Ahab's father. He's the founder of Samaria and um, of Ahab's wicked house. He's a supporter of superstitions and the demonic. He does evil in the sight of God and here, uh, Judah is like, but we're not doing we're, we're not doing all those things. Like we're set, Judah and Israel are separate now. And here, here is Micah preaching to Jerusalem. God is speaking to Jerusalem. It's Judah, and we're like, but we're Judah. Like we're not it. Samaria is over there, but we have Jerusalem. And what God is saying is, yeah, you you might be many steps behind where your brothers are. But the fact of the matter is this, you're on the same path. You're walking in the same footsteps. You're going in the same direction. And every time a Samaria takes 10 steps in the wrong direction, you're 10 steps behind. And look, you're not even where you were a decade ago. Why? Because the statutes of Omri and the works of Ahab are kept They're not rejected. They're not cast out. They're not labeled. You're doing them. And you're guilty before God. You're doing evil in the sight of God. You're doing what they're doing. And you take your ideals and uh, your politics and all of that from, well, from evil. And we're seeing that happen in the church today. Um, The statutes of Omri and the 
principles of Ahab are kept in the church. There are pastors today walking in a spirit of Ahab and Jezebel, uh, filled with jealousy and with dissension and with gossip and with murder and with envy and with hate and in competition. And how are we any different than when Ahab looked at Naboth's field and said, I want that and we pout when we don't get what we want, and we do anything we can to get what we want. It's happening in the pulpits. It's happening in the pews. It's happening with God's people because we're not rejecting sin, and God says, yeah, you're, you're, you're keeping those things, and it's going to be a bad day for the people that don't reject sin and call it what I call it. Um, my friend, so much happening in these verses. The uh, final picture here is, I will give you up as an object of horror. God's about to move from the micro into the macro. Who's the you that's being given up as an object of horror? That's the individual. That's the, the singular person. And your inhabitants as an object of hissing, that's the the, the citizens of Jerusalem, the inhabitants of Jerusalem. They're going to be mocked as as a object of hissing um, and you'll bear the reproach of my people you'll bear the reproach of my people um, ultimately you this is now the nation um, you'll lose your reputation the thing that you boasted of is ultimately going to bring you great reproach uh, you're going to say, we're people of God. Um, we're invincible. Like, we, God is on our side. There's a lot of that happening in Western Christianity today. God's on our side. God's on our side. And and they take the verse out of context that if God be for us, who can be against us? God's on my side. Friend, God's not on anybody's side. God has a side, and you get on it, and you'll be on the winning side. But God's not joining your team. You don't get to be the captain, and you're not his coach. He's the owner, he's the coach, he's the captain, and he's the quarterback. He's all of them all at the same time. God is in control. He's the one in charge. He's not on your team. And um, it's important for us to get that today um, because when we turn our backs on the principles of God, when we run from God, when we keep the statutes of the people that are far from God, here's what happens. Um, As an individual, you become an object of horror. The citizens of Jerusalem, an object of hissing, and the nation uh, loses its reputation. And when you're like, well, we're followers of God, that's not going to be a good thing. The world that hates God is going to hate you even more for saying that. And God who loves you is going to bring a level of judgment that matches the offense, this is God's message to Israel. This is all coming in that day. It's God's message through the prophet. It's coming in that day. And there's much of our uh, edification and application to be taken from these verses today. Don't miss it. Um, When you turn your back on God, when you run from God, when you keep the statutes that God says to reject and hate and run from, uh, friend, what happens? You're going to be an object of horror. You're individually going to suffer the consequences. And when God's individuals, when when the people that make up the church run from God and hate God, um, object of horror, the, the church, the, the church becomes an object of mockery. And the, na- the, the nation 
well, the nation loses its reputation. And if we're not seeing that in uh, our Western world today, not just in the United States, but places like Great Britain and Australia and uh, others that, well, have followed the same pattern. And until we repent and until we learn from the past, we're destined uh, to repeat it. So friend, uh, questions for us to journal and pray over today uh, are, are this, um, what are you a man or woman of? What are you a man of? What are, what are you a man of? Because in, in verse number nine, um, it's sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear, O tribe, who even has appointed its time. Is there yet a man in a... There are individuals here that God is asking, um, what are you all about? What are you of? What are you known for? And I want us all to consider that individually. Like if the entire church was made up of people just like you, what would the state of the church and the state of the nation be? Um, And uh, ultimately, here's the question that we wanted to arrive at. Are you happy or are you scared at the idea the truth that God keeps his promises. Um, God has promised to withhold no good thing from those who walk uprightly. So are you excited about God keeping his promise to not withhold any good thing? Are you excited about the prospect of eternity? Are you excited about everyone knowing what you are about? Or is it terrifying the idea of God keeping his promises? Your reaction to the promises of God really is a litmus test. It's a thermometer maybe for where you are spiritually, mentally, and emotionally right now. Here's the truth. God keeps his promises. Here's the test. Uh, How do you feel about that? Um, I hope you're excited. Hope you're excited. Thank you for studying the scriptures with us today in Micah chapter 6 and We're so appreciative of those who support this channel financially to make these videos and these podcasts possible. You can find out more about that in the description and join us as we continue now. We're nearing the end of the book of Micah, just a few short videos to go in Micah chapter 7 as we study the scriptures. We'll see you next time.